You're listening to Social Media Unlocked, episode number six. Whether it's radio, TV, and then social, I have to remember sometimes that just because I made something available via, via social, that people didn't necessarily see it or hear it. It's time we had an honest conversation about social media. This is Heather Pink, your host of Social Media Unlocked. After spending years producing TV and running social media for the NFL, I started my own social media consulting agency. And well, I want to talk and teach more about social media. Through each podcast, I hope to bring you a new perspective on social media through influencers, brands, content creators, and more. So that way it can help you with your personal brand, your brand's content, collaborations, and well, just being more knowledgeable about social media. One of the things I'm fascinated with right now are business professionals who have seen it all and are now currently navigating the social media space. Most of them ask me which platform they should be spending the most time on. Well, my next guest does so many jobs that sometimes I think that he has a superpower, which is fitting as the name of his podcast is House of L, a radio show host by day and teacher at DePaul by night. Or at least that's how I see it. Lawrence Holmes has been in the professional sports media space for almost as long as I've been alive, and I'm not joking. This guy has seen so much in the media space, and by that, I don't just mean his fair share of White Sox or Bears games. Between his learnings from sports, hosting a daily radio show, starting a podcast, and his teachings from two different generations of college kids, well, we covered a lot on this episode of Social Media Unlocked. Most people don't know that I, too, was an intern, and I was an intern at 670 The Score with this guy, Lawrence Holmes. Lawrence, thank you so much for having me on, or, well, wait, having you on my podcast. Yeah, I'm on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm, 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 first of all, like, I'm so, like, proud of what you've become. Like, it's amazing. Like, you, you left us and then went out west and, and worked for the NFL, and now you're doing, like, your own thing. Like, it's Every time I would see you, whether it be on Instagram or like I catch you like in the background of watching NFL Network, I'd be like, yeah, Pink. And I'd be really <laughs> excited. I'm, I'm very proud of what you've done. Lawrence is a jack of all trades. And for people that aren't from Chicago, Lawrence does the radio at 670 The Score. He does pre and post for the Bears. And he also has his own podcast, House of L, which we were just talking about offline. You do so much, Lawrence. How is it that you have time to fit in anything else in your life and or even your own personal social media? Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about this over the last you know couple of years, that my life is kind of like the game Tetris, where you're, you're seeing all the blocks are moving and you're trying to kind of fit them all where they are. The goal has been to try and find things that match up uh, each, each time that I do another venture. And I've succeeded sometimes in that, and I've failed miserably sometimes in that. When I was working at 120 Sports, I was doing a morning show every day uh, with, with Michael Kim, who I occasionally still work with now over at Stadium Network. And I was doing that show in the morning. Our, our meeting was at 5 a.m., and this was after I was doing the nighttime show over at The Score from 6 until 10. So it was like a race to get home and go to sleep <laughs> for six hours to wake up and, and do it all again. And retro, like the experience was unbelievable, but in retrospect, like that was a huge mistake because it, by the end of the week, I was absolutely done. So now, luckily, I'm in a place where I can kind of pick and choose. Like 
weeks did I want to go hard and, and work an 80 hour week versus a week where I only work 50 hours like that. Yeah. Sort of thing. With social media in particular, like I'm, I'm on it now. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's, what's weird is I'm actually probably more on Instagram than ever now. It's not and weird, Lawrence. That's the way that the world is working right now. Yeah, I, I find it to be a softer place than, than Twitter and Facebook. Like, I'm totally, I'm totally off of, I'm not off of Facebook, but I don't post anymore. And I rarely, like, even log in uh, to what's going on on Facebook. And with Twitter, it, it really is just an, an opportunity for me to, to, while I'm watching games, like, I like to talk with the audience that way. So, like, it's kind of like um, what I loved about it when I was a beat reporter, when I was covering the Bears every week and be at games, like, the activity that I would have on my Twitter feed throughout a Bears game was amazing. I love that. I still really, really love that. And while I'm watching Cubs or White Sox or whatever, like, I'll do that. But I, I found myself tweeting a little bit less. I'm still a voyeur. Like, I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing what's happening and, yeah. like, I'm reading stuff, but I'm, I'm definitely doing less on Twitter. But, and most of my tweets now are more promotional, which I feel like at the essence of Twitter was kind of the idea mm-hmm. that they, here was a way to like brand extend and, and give people um, more access to what it is you do. And I think that the mistake that I've probably made is I gave probably too much access to who I am. What do you mean by that? Like too much access to where you're at all at the same no, time? No, like not not so much that, but just kind of like just randomly like, oh, I feel this way. I have to put it on Twitter instead <laughs> of realizing like my mom told me a long time ago that not every thought needs yeah. to be spoken. Yeah. And I think that, that that's one of the biggest dangers with social media is that we jump out and we're like, oh, well, th- I have this platform and now I just – can say whatever. And it's like, no, you still have to be really wise about your words. And, and I, I think that I've now kind of found a really good sweet spot yeah. when it comes with Twitter, where there's a little bit, like you're going to see some of my personality on Twitter, but it's, I'm running it, I think more effectively as a business now than I was before. How many times have you got called out on Twitter? Uh, you know what? Uh, I haven't done anything crazy on Twitter, but you know how sports fans are. Oh, yeah, they're relentless, especially Chicago ones. Yeah, if if I say something that what I think would be innocuous, like I think Chris Bryant is having a really good year, there will always be the people who will push back and be like, he's not driving in enough runs or hitting well enough with runners in scoring position, like that sort of thing. And I I heard Bomani Jones say one time, And I thought it was a a really, really interesting quote. He was saying how, like, if he disagreed with someone um, and people wanted him to have a hot take against that person, I think it was Jason Whitlock, have a hot take against that person. He's like, I don't fight my my friends in the street. And I think that that's kind of what Twitter is like. I, I I have shied away from any sort of, like, confrontation on Twitter. Because you know what I realized? I have a radio show. <laughs> like, <laughs> and not many I, people have that platform, right? To be able to say whenever you know, say whatever you want. 
Right. And I can say it without a limit of characters too. Like that's, that's one of the things that I've been trying to get back towards where I don't, I don't want to fight with people via Twitter anymore. Like I don't mind, I don't mind what, what I would determine as being good debate, which is, Hey, I, I don't agree with you on this and here's why. Can you clarify your position versus you're an idiot? How can you say something like that? Like that sort of thing. I'm, I'm out of that business because it was creeping into my psyche that, that you're out here, you know, just kind of fighting with people in the street. Like Bomani said, I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So you talked about how, how Twitter is. So, but you, you mentioned Instagram and how is Instagram now a part of your life? Uh, Cause I know, I know working in sports, how important Twitter was. We would get up and that was, that is the only thing that we would look at sometimes is Twitter. And eventually, as Instagram started creeping into more popular, players were breaking their own news on Instagram platforms, right? So obviously, it's a huge way that that people in sports are dealing with news and everything. But how is it fitting into into your like scape, social media scape? I I like what the teams are doing on Instagram that I cover. Uh, mostly, I cover you know the teams that are in Chicago, but. Even like covering the Bears, I follow the Lions, the Vikings, the Packers on, on Instagram. And I feel like whether it's the teams or the leagues, it does a better job of expressing personality than Twitter does. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some super creative uh, Twitter accounts from teams. The Cubs Twitter account is amazing. Like they, yeah. they put together some really cool content. But I was just kind of noticing that athletes or teams were less, I guess maybe guarded is the right word. They were less guarded on Instagram. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a sucker for great photography. So <laughs> you add those two things together. I, I think that some of the storytelling that gets done on Instagram is, is really, really solid. So I find myself kind of gravitating more towards there. And I'll tell you what's really interesting um, for me is lately I've been posting more inside story than I do my feed. And I don't know what that means. I don't know why now I almost will, like I, I took a trip to Miami and I made like stories about different places that I went instead of flooding my, my, my timeline with it. I, I don't know. No. I, I enjoyed that. And then poof, it's gone. It, here's the, I mean, here's the thing too. One, Instagram sort of took the best of all the different platforms, right? There was Snapchat. So there was those moments to capture everything that you're doing. And Instagram just decided to say, we want this to be the place for everything, right? So if you want to show something and not have it be on your permanent feed, right? Not your permanent record, because you can always take it off. Uh, you have a way to do that, right? You have a way to go to Miami, do this whole trip. And even now with highlights, you could showcase it even on your profile, even now, even if you're like, you know what, I want to bring back that Miami vacation. You can still put it even on your highlights. You can put it through your archive. And I think that's the cool, unique part about Instagram. I wish people took more advantage and took that note uh, about Instagram story. And I think it's interesting. My, my thing is, do you, Ever have you utilized IGTV yet? No, I have not yet. Uh, I've I've explored a lot, like like with the teams and stuff. I don't know why I haven't. I just haven't. Yeah. Should I? 
Well, yes. Anything that the, like, I do watch a lot of Gary Vee. Um, I've read one or two of his books. I'm sure you know exactly who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find him really great. I think from a philosophy perspective, he is really great. He did say this one thing that I don't exactly know was on point with my philosophy was that there is no such thing as like an algorithm um, because the algorithm right now for Instagram is tailored a little bit more to IGTV videos. So with the new Instagram algorithm having that update, a lot of engagement has gone down probably across the board 20 or 30%. But the thing is, is truthfully, if you have good content, like really awesome, a really moving piece, a really awesome piece of content, people are going to share it. People are going to comment about it and it's going to go up regardless of, of its photo, a video, whatever. But I do think that if you're like, okay, well, my engagement's kind of stagnant. I don't know exactly what to do. Like, why not? It's going to end up being boosted within your own followers, you know? Okay. I'll, I'll take that under advisement. Look, look at that. Look at that. The uh, student has become the teacher. Well, like you've been the <laughs> teacher for like forever. You're, you're forget about that. I, I mean, I'm still an old man. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep up with what's going on. And what's really interesting is I, I, I literally have students at DePaul and watching what they do on, on social media is fascinating to me. Like there, there's less and less like Twitter use Mm -hmm. I'm noticing. So I started teaching in 2011. So I've seen the end of the millennials and the beginning of Gen Z in the workforce. Yeah. And watching the different ways that they navigate social media is fascinating. Um, what, what they think, what they think good content is, what they're willing to share. And, and you have to realize that for the most part, a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, what I would say kids that are coming through college right now, most of their life has been shared. And it's such an interesting like, what does that do to you? And I, and I think back to when I was that age, what would I have shared from my life? How would I have reacted to people's reaction of that sharing? I think that I'm in um, a unique place because I, I lived the first half of my life truly without any of this stuff. I, I was in college before email started. Like, I still remember my first, like, email address. I was in college before cell phones were universally used. Like, I'm the same age as Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. (laughs) And back in those days, if someone had a brick phone, they were the man. Because you just didn't have a phone. And they were like, here, I'll use my Marantz. Uh, (laughs) It was, like, this big. Like, you know, like, like, this is what the phones looked like back then. and now you have all this computing power like in your hand. It, it's amazing. But I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with my students because through all of this, through this transition where we have this digital life and everyone is sharing and sometimes oversharing, they're able to navigate it. I'm, I'm very proud of them in that regard because I, I don't know if I would have had thick enough skin to do what they're doing. I was just going to say one thing I've definitely noticed. I I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine last night. He's like, you know, what's crazy is that suicide rates have gone up. And I was like, 
I wouldn't say that it's crazy because social media brings on this pressure and you really do have to be thick skin in order to only navigate it, but not let it get to you. Yeah. You know, you can be so focused on, oh, well, Susie's doing this and this. I mean, I remember when I was at the NFL, I was following people on social. I'm like, what am I doing? All these people are going out and going on vacations. But at the same time, it's like, you need to have a job. You need to make the money. And if they're doing that, I'm sure that they have found a savvy way to continue to have that lifestyle, make money and do that. But at the end of the day, like not everybody has a free ride, but this pressure of seeing everybody like, oh, look what they're doing. They're at the game. They're on this vacation all the time. Like it can definitely get to you. I know with one of my clients, we definitely talk about that a lot. It's like, stop focusing on what everybody else is doing. You know, don't make it something that you live by, you know, you see something, you get inspired by it, but don't let it get to you, you know, cause that's, that's definitely not one way to live. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, because there can be that, that envy of you're like, Oh, well, why am I not in Tahiti right now? Or, you know, how did, how did they get that? Like that sort of thing. Um, and I think that that's your approach is the right one that, that telling your client that, it's all good. Like, don't just do you. And I think that's, it, it's funny. Cause I feel like there's this great line. Um, there, there's this great line, this, this song by the roots where this rapper says, uh, sell ourselves on social media, saturate the market. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, you're right. Like we probably are saturating the market in, in ourselves. But, and I think we're seeing people kind of move a little bit away from that and do a little bit less and enjoy and celebrate other people more than being envious of them. Envy, I think, is just such a powerful drug and it can really, it can really take you on. I mean, I've been lucky enough to, when sometimes people ask me about my experience at the NFL, I'm like, I learned a lot, but let me tell you, I've learned my lesson about wanting to like, work at the place and see how the bread's made. I'm very good. I don't, I don't need to like, I don't need to see that anymore. I'm so good, you know? And because for a couple of years, like it spoiled my love of football. Like, do you feel like, because not only is your day job, every part of your job, including in my opinion, your social media too, is all around sports. Do you ever feel like you get sort of soiled by it? You're preaching to the choir. I, I usually say how the sausage is made, um, but you're absolutely <laughs> preaching to the choir. So I spent nine seasons covering the Bears as a beat reporter. Every day I'm at Hallis Hall. I'm traveling with the team, all of that stuff. I love it. Like it, it's helped make my career, like my work as a reporter for the score set up my career. Even now, like people will ask me my opinion on the day-to-day goings-on of the Bears. I'm like, I'm not there every day anymore. I've, I've graduated uh, <laughs> in a sense from that. But I grew up being a Bears fan. Like the Super Bowl Bears, I was 10 years old when the Bears won the Super Bowl. Jim McMahon was my guy. Like I, Walter Payton, like growing up watching Walter Payton was amazing. I own the Super Bowl shuffle on vinyl. Like all of this stuff, but after covering a team day in and day out and trying to get the most to your audience, trying to, to, to help them understand like what's going on with the team, I lost my love for the Bears. 
So I'm not, I'm no longer a bears fan because I can't be it's clinical. Like I have to almost look at the bears like a doctor looks at a patient, not, not as a fan. Now I'm I see you on that one though. I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. Cause I totally understand. Like when you get so into it and then it almost just doesn't even matter at times. Yeah. I found myself like, I still rooted for the guys. Yeah, like, of I, course. I for stories. I rooted for the guys. Like I, I wanted, you know, Charles Tillman to succeed. You know what I mean? Like you, you want to see Brian Erlacher make it to the hall of fame, but the week to week in the NFL, I, if the bears win or lose, my mood doesn't change. Yeah. And it's, it's weird to even say that to an audience of bears fans. Cause they don't, they're like, what do you mean? Like, they don't get it. And I'm like, no, you have to understand that when you're in it, 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 it takes something away yeah. from that part of you. Luckily, like, there are still teams that I do root for. Like, I still love the White Sox. Like, I still emote when I watch White Sox games. Even though I do cover them a little bit, I still am um, very, very angry at DePaul <laughs> week in and week out when they lose games. And, you know, I graduated from Alabama. I got my master's degree from Alabama this, this past uh, spring. Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. You. I think I saw your Instagram post, actually. Or oh, a post, so. Yeah, I, I – and, and it's so funny because that, like, reignited something in me where my wife will tell you I am, I am an insufferable Alabama fan now. Like I am a, there's no zealot like the converted and, and having been down to Tuscaloosa a few times and I went to the iron bowl, my boss got me tickets to go see the iron bowl. I am an Alabama loon. So all of that like pent up fandom that as a member of the media, you have to kind of suppress and push down. Um, I found a way to release it and it's been with other teams that I didn't cover, but the bears thing that ship has probably sailed for me, and I don't know if it'll ever come back. Yeah. I always love the fact that I felt like you were always – you mentioned your class and how you've seen a bunch of different – you know, you've seen the millennials and Gen Z, but I've always felt like you've always had a touch with the younger class in addition to being part of, you know, your age group too. Do you feel like a lot of your colleagues maybe are on the same level as you with respect to being in touch with the – the millennials, the Gen Z, and, and being on social, do you feel like maybe you're um, an outlier of the pack? And or I say ahead I of the curve. I, I think I was pretty lucky that I bought in a little earlier. It took me a while to get on Twitter, um, but I'm glad I did. And I feel like I've, I dove into it and I dove into Instagram. And my older colleagues, like, I'm in my mid 40s. So I would say colleagues that are close to 50 and over, they might be on Twitter, but they're not on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're there, but they're not really engaging. And it's rare to find them on Instagram. Um, I still don't think that I'm, I don't, I don't think that I'm cool, you know, because I know like in my, whether it's my interns or my students, they've told me like, Hey, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. And I'm like, wait, what is that? But I do think that for the majority of, of my career, 
I've done a good job of, of being, vi being visible on social media and trying to keep up as much as possible. Yeah. I, I, being around the students is probably like my most favorite thing. Being around them, trying to learn from them. And I, I've noticed that a change, and I, I joke about this all the time, um, and this is no diss to the millennials, but it is something that I noticed. So I basically have had five class of millennials and two class of Gen Z, okay? With the millennials, it was like, can you give me a job? Like, I want a job. You work in the industry. That's why I'm taking your class. Get me a job. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what you can do. Why don't we find out what you can do? And then I can help, you know, kind of get you where you need to go. The Gen Z kids are already different. They're like, they're, they're like this. They're like, hey, old guy, you know stuff, don't you? And I'm like, yes, I know a couple of things. All right, old guy, I want you to teach me everything that you know. And then I'm going to add it to what it is I do. And then I'm going to go and do whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. Because that's, that's the gig. There seems to be a level of respect that wasn't quite there with my millennial students, which I think is interesting. Uh, and maybe because it's, it's, you know, there's the theory that, that Gen X of which I'm a part of, like I'm basically these kids parents. So there, there is some inherent respect with the Gen Z kids because they're like, oh, you're like my dad or my mom. And then they're like, okay, just, just take, like they want to take, like give me everything that you got. And I'm already literate in a bunch of these things. I have a student who, who is incredible. She speaks five languages. Like she, I, if I had a pick to click on a student, this is my pick to click. She's going to be a star in something. I don't know what, but she's going to be a star. And she would be willing to stay after class because there were things about the industry that she didn't know, like logging a game. Like where else is she going to learn that? Like unless she's working in the industry. And she stayed with me after class and we would just pull up games and she would, I taught her how to log the game. And it's that type of stuff that I didn't get from the group of millennials. When class was over, class was over. With the Gen Z kids, they, they want to hear the stories. Like, they want to know what my life is like in the industry and what mistakes I've made so that they can navigate around it. It's a really, it, 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 it refuels me every single year. No matter what class it was, whether it was the millennials or the Gen Z kids, it, it refuels me every year. And one of the first lessons that I teach them is um, I went to career builder and I asked them about how many, how, what's the percentage of employers that check social media accounts of prospective employees. So this was two years ago. They got back to me and said 72% of employers check social media accounts. So the first assignment that I have my students do is I say, I want you to go back through your social media account. Pick, pick whatever one you want, Twitter, Instagram, old Snapchat, Facebook, whatever. 
and find me something that's objectionable. Find me something that might get you fired or not hired. And they all come back with something. Of course they do. It's so funny. When I, when I left college, um, so this was 2012. I, I mean, before I started the whole resume apply thing, we went through our Facebooks because at the time that was the most popular thing. And we went through and deleted every photo that you possibly could that was like, you know, party girl or this, or I'm wearing, <coughs> wearing this outfit and, you know, can be taken as this way. And I was shocked that most people didn't do that. And even when we were interviewing people, we would look at their social media immediately. Like we would, okay, resume, already read, now social media, second. People don't get that. It's such an easy concept for me. It's like, if I want to hire you, I want to I know a lot about you. Why do you think people don't look at their, their accounts and don't think that, I mean, in this case, we'll be Big Brother, that Big Brother is watching? I honestly, I mean, truthfully, I don't know because every time I talk, like when I told my sister right before she started applying to places after she, like right before she graduated, go through everything and delete everything or make your Instagram private, do certain things. And I, I even tell people because I feel like now, and I'm, I'm almost shocked. Maybe it is the difference of I'm the millennial and your students are the generation beneath me is that I feel like a lot of my friends know that. A lot of my friends that are my age know that no matter what, someone's going to be stalking me, no matter what. Yep. If I'm exiting uh, a job, if I'm entering a job, all those types of things where um, that's why like when I made sure when I left the NFL that I was posting certain things because I knew once people heard that I was leaving, they would go back in my profile and look at the last couple posts or look at the last couple things and they were waiting for me to, to say what I was doing next. But I feel that it should almost be one of those things. I'm happy that you do that with your class because I feel like it's not said enough. I, I'm, and that's why it's one of the differences where when I say something and I get the reaction of, oh, really? Wait, don't you know that already? You know? Um, well, what's cool is that I, I, I attach a writing assignment to it. Like I have them. And it, what, what I do find interesting is they're more willing they're more willing to be open and honest in the writing than talking to me. <laughs> so so if, if I say, all right, you guys went through your, your Instagram and you found pictures. What picture did you find? Why did you feel like you needed to delete it? They'll be quiet. But in the assignment that they send to me, they're like, look, I was drinking beer. I don't even know if my mom knows that I drink. I'm sitting there in the middle of a party. I'm smoking weed. I'm doing like all of this stuff. And it, it makes me laugh because they go, yeah, this is probably not the best way for me to <laughs> myself into an employer. It, it, the realization when they figure it out is pretty great. That's awesome. Um, I want to ask one thing because you have been in sports, you have a billion things that you do. What is one of the biggest things that you've learned about social media? Maybe it could be recently, could have been over the past couple of years, but you've, you've seen it, you've been in the industry before and now during the social media era, what's one of the biggest things you've learned about it? How quickly something can move and, and the amount of traction that something 
that I tweet can have, sometimes even more so than the radio show, which I think is interesting. Um, even like, for example, like some of the rules that the NFL has and teams have specifically, like the Bears, they don't allow us to really videotape stuff at training camp. And I get it. You know, everyone's trying to keep secrets in the NFL. Not that there isn't 16 games of tape of what the Bears did last year that's available for anyone who actually has a, uh, a subscription to NFL.com. Uh, but they, they, they don't like if I send it out. But I've now found – this is a little life hack for other reporters. I find inside the Bears hashtag – People like fans are allowed to do whatever. Like they can videotape stuff. I'll I'll follow fans, or I'll check in on fans' feed if they have video of a Mitch Trubisky interception or Kyle Long throwing his helmet at someone else. So it's the new way that reporters have to navigate social media. Our use of it and the use of the people who follow us. I think it's probably the, the biggest lesson that I've learned and, and relearn the lesson of, like I was telling you earlier, like my mom said, not every thought has to be shared. You post four times a day on Instagram. I'm done with you. I'm, I can't, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's what the Instagram story's for. Use that. That's, I think maybe that's where that, and even like it can be too much on Instagram story. I feel like if the little dots get to be so small that you can't see them, that you probably posted too much to your Exactly. Instagram. Oh, I'm so happy you said that. I love that because I'm sometimes too afraid. I always am very conscious because people know that I'm on social, I work in social, have my own social media company. So when I make a comment, they're like, wait, what? Wait, is that bad? Is that good? What should I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so, wait, so they just might, I mean, they, they take it to a micro level. Like, I mean, should I hold the camera differently? What should I do? <laughs> Well, I mean, those. I mean, this. We are presenting ourselves, so we have to be conscious of that. I try not to be overly conscious of it. I, I don't want to go too far, but I do want to make sure that if I send out a picture um, without context, that the picture looks as good as it can look. Not many people have that perspective, so I really appreciate that, and that's why that's why I wanted to have you on because I know that you you know social media. And that is um, when I first started working with a lot of the reporters and like we call them like the media talent at the NFL, the first six months of it was not only onboarding them into our system, but teaching them the simple things about social, how to post something to Instagram, how to post something to Instagram story, how to connect your Instagram to your Facebook. And you're like years ahead of that. I hope you know that. Oh, well, good. I'm glad. I, uh, I try. I'm out here. I'm probably not posting as much as I used to, but um, I, I think it's important. It's, a, it's an important way to share. But the other thing is, is that I, I, because I have everything, like whether it's radio, TV, and then social, I have to remember sometimes that just because I made something available via, via social, that people didn't necessarily see it or hear it. And with the radio show in particular, if I have a great interview that I podcasted, that we have 
you know, our show archive. And I'm like, oh, my God, we had David Deal on, and it was great. Like, check this out. I have to realize that there's still fan service that I need to do for the listener, and they're not listening all the time. Now, I've been really good about this with, with radio content, and I'm a firm believer in if something's good, bring it back because all the data shows us that not everyone is listening all the time. Most people are in and out, in and out, in and out. So if I have Joe Madden on for 20 minutes at noon, which I do every Tuesday, I get Joe for 20 minutes. The person who listens on Thursday at 1.30 may never hear Joe Madden. So I have to be strategic and occasionally bringing back a piece of the Joe Madden interview in a different uh, part of the clock so that people can enjoy it. The other thing is trying to get viewers or listeners or people who follow me on social to change their habits is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's become one of my biggest challenges as a radio host because now the biggest thing that I get from um, fans is, oh my God, I used to love listening to you at night. I miss listening to you at night. And I'm like, you can still listen to me at night. <laughs> I have a friend who out here, uh, he's from Chicago, and him and I, we bonded over you because he was like, wait, Lawrence Holmes follows you on Instagram? How do you know Lawrence Holmes? I was like, oh, well, I, I, I was the intern, one of the interns at WSC, uh, The Score, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you worked at The Score? I'm like, Lawrence is one of the coolest people ever, and he still listens to your show on, like, the website. I think that you can listen through on the website and – but I totally sympathize to what you're saying. It's like, you can still listen to me. I'm not dead. Like, yeah, like digital age that everything is pretty much available. And if it's not, then some, someone's doing their job wrong. Honestly. I I mean, I know that as, as a listener, as a consumer, um, I love the Dan Levitard show. Okay. Now I can't listen to the Dan Levitard show live because I'm prepping for my own show. But later in the day, I, I, it's one of the first things I go and grab is I listen to the the podcast of the show. And so like, to me, I just so frustrated because I'm like, you could literally start, like, let's say that you listen every day at six o'clock. You can literally start my show at noon at six and listen to it. And I would still be there with you. And it's pretty easy, especially with with the, the way that cars work now with Bluetooth and everything. Like, it's so easy to do. It, it's, it's a frustration of mine for sure. <laughs> I always told some of my influencers that I worked with that nobody likes an inside joke. If you have 100,000 followers and you have an inside joke, that's like, like, no offense, I'm not watching you all the time and probably not your followers. Like, so the more you do an inside joke, the more you actually leave more followers out and the more that you can share it. Like, hey, actually, this is what I was talking about. Or, hey, you know, if you don't know, like, if you keep, sometimes your one audience during the day may not have listened to something that's on the pod or, or things like that. It, it is really important to do that. And I'm happy that you, you mentioned that. I'm happy you know that. See? Oh, I love it. Well, so I much. mean, in, in sports, the other, and I ran across this today, in sports, we use a lot of jargon. And you're around NFL guys. You hear guys talking about uh, the Sam, the Will, uh, the, they're, they're talking about cover two defenses, all this stuff, and we, we should probably do a better job of taking time to explain. 
So what I love, it was cool today. Like we have an interactive text screen at the score. So people like can live like text in what they think about what we're doing on the show or guest or whatever. And there were a bunch of people today when I had David deal on talking about offensive line play that was like, wait a minute, why does he keep saying Sam, Will, and Mike? And you have to remember that even though it's a sports radio station, Mm -hmm. there are people who don't know. There are people who don't know that um, OPS is on base plus slugging. Well, great. Now you've told me what it means. What's a good one? All right, well, great. League average is 757. So anything above 757 is really good. Like that sort of thing. I, I do think that because there's because we know that there's so much information that's available digitally, I think that we often take for granted that everyone knows everything, and that's not the case. By the way, did you have David Deal in studio, or did you do it over the phone? No, we did it over the phone, but we're, we're planning on getting him in studio um, when he comes home when the Bears and Giants play in November. Have you ever met him in person? He's yeah, we've met. Say I, he was at the NFL, and I think I had to work with him for like total access one day. I had to grab him from the calf, and I was like, "Wow, you are massive!" I, I mean, I've been around a lot of the NFL guys, but he was definitely one of the bigger ones I've had to talk to. Well, he's not anymore, and that's one of the things that we talked about today. That he, I joked with him that he looks like a tight end now because he's so small. Oh, yeah, for sure. But his hands are still. Matt, I mean, no matter what, at the end of the day, I'm five feet tall. He's That's still going to be massive to me. Like when I, same with Miles Garrett. When I was at the combine, we had to interview him. So me and Colin Wolf are standing there, and I had to go grab him. And I prep all the players before they would get to Colleen. And I went to interview, and I went to shake Miles Garrett's hand, and I looked down, and I was like, I can't even see my hand. I don't even yeah. know where that went because it's so big. That's why I, when I first met David Deal, uh, like very briefly, I was like, holy crap, massive. Has uh, it been your experience because you're small? Um, I've noticed this from NFL players. NFL players are very aware of how big they are, and. I've noticed that they're very kind to smaller people because of how big they actually are. Has that been your experience? Um, yes and no. Maybe. I mean, when I, so when I would do the combine show, me and Colleen Wolf would be on the field and I would basically produce, field produce all of the interviews. So I had this idea years ago about bringing the players down to the field and interviewing them based on their social media. So we would have a social media basically like visualization up and we would literally stalk them for probably over three years. So if you can imagine 250 combine people, me and my team would stalk all of them for like as far as we could go. And I would, you know, bring them up and I'd have to like place them and I'd have to give them tips. And some of them, I'm like, I got to move you. So you have to move or like plant your feet right there. They were, they were pretty weird. And Colleen Wolf is also five, two, like dealing with two small people. They, they were pretty aware, but also like combine is also unique as, in, as opposed to when I've had to deal with them, like in studio when they're around 15 other people at the same time where combine they're, I, I get handed them by themselves. They don't have a PR person. They don't have a manager. There's no handler. It's just me. So they're a little, they were always a little bit easier to work with just because it was just one-on-one, you know? Which is good. So, really good. 
Um, Lawrence, I won't take up too much of your time. It was so good to walk down memory lane uh, with you. If you guys don't follow him, um, AK, if you're probably not from Chicago, make sure to follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Lawrence W. Holmes. And his podcast is in the iTunes store at The House of L. Also look for it. It's a Superman sign, right? Yes, it's a blue Superman sign with an L in it. L like in my first name. Please give it five stars because that is an algorithm. The uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the Apple iTunes stuff is now. So the five stars, like it gets better placement uh, the more people who rate it. And so far, like a bunch, I want to see like over a thousand people have submitted ratings on it uh, and, and, and actually like given feedback, which is great. And we appreciate that because it's helped the podcast grow. I'm going to do that right now. And I'm also going to make sure I listen to your podcast more. Lawrence, thank you so much. Thank you. You're always welcome here, Pink. Always. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Media Unlocked. Please take a moment to review this podcast in the iTunes store. If you want to learn more about me and my social media experience, go to www.heather.pink or find me on Instagram at heatherpink27. And if you're looking for help in creating a social media department or building a social media brand, my consulting agency, Pink Deer, is here to help. Visit www.pinkdeerllc.com for more info.